0: Good afternoon. Good evening. Good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu and after a brief summer break, uh, I've come back and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered with myself and my favorite and only podcast co-host Pete Johnson. Hey, Pete.
1: Hey, Ali. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I just got back from a week in Iceland, which was really fun.
1: Oh, how did that? That sounds awesome.
0: It was awesome. It was exhausting because that tiny little country is actually much bigger when you're in a car trying to drive from glaciers to lava tubes to uh, the sea. There's just a lot going on there. So there's a lot of driving to be done, but we saw it all. I'm pretty sure
1: from the maps I've seen, it's really small. What are you talking about?
0: (laughs) Right. It looks small again, but amazing country. So different. Great for my kids to see that different kind of stuff. So uh, no podcast last week, but we're back this week. And boy, are we back with a bang, right? This week's guest is, I'd call him an internet OG. I'm just gonna say that. He uh, was a co-founder of Equinix, which we all know. Everybody has contact with Equinix at some point. Largest data center operator in the world with over 200 data centers in 24 countries. Uh, But that is not where he stopped. He wrote the internet peering playbook, connecting to the core of the internet, and a whole bunch of other publications on internet architecture. His name is William Norton. He is William B. Norton. He's from NOIA, N-O-I-A, it's an acronym, it stands for the Network Optimized Internet Architecture. Welcome William, thank you for joining us today. Fantastic to be here. I am, I am really impressed by your longstanding involvement in the internet. I bet it's been really cool to kind of watch everything unfold because if, if I read correctly, you were involved really in the internet before it was even a public thing or a commercial thing.
2: Well, that's right. In 1988, um, I went to go to the uh, University of Michigan, where there's a network operations uh, part called the Merit Network. And Merit built um, its own network across the state of Michigan based on PDP-11s at the time. And um, Merit had just won the contract to operate the NSFnet, which was the precursor to the commercial Internet. It was called the NSFnet, and one of the things I was tasked with doing was writing network operation center tools to monitor and, and oversee the, uh, the core of the internet, which is one of the reasons I chose connecting to the core of the internet as the subtitle for my book. I, I find it really fascinating that the core of the internet is this one kind of monolithic thing at the time. Uh, of course, when the commercialization of the Internet came forward, then the core of the Internet split into multiple competing core segments of the Internet. A lot of these guys you'll see uh, called Tier 1 ISPs or, or uh, different definitions. The definition I use for a Tier 1 ISP is an ISP that for the entire part of the world has access to all destinations simply by its free and reciprocal hearing agreement but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here.
0: Uh, <laughs> you are you are but that's okay yeah. I understand it's hard not to uh, to jump right into it but that that must have been wild when you were involved in it in the early days did you have any idea that this was going to happen that it was going to become so ubiquitous that it was just like the entire world shops there now it just it runs <laughs> our lives you know.
2: Yeah, no, I I think I was a bit more pessimistic back in the day when we started talking hypothetically of this, uh, this massive growth. You know, when the federal government stopped running the core of the Internet, what's going to happen? People would talk about there being multiple uh, networks around the world, hundreds, maybe thousands of routers. And at the time, the core of the Internet was really, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 uh, machines, really. So no, I, I figured that nobody would trust their money on the public internet. It's just too insecure, too unreliable, and uh, you know it's kind of like working on at a sausage factory if you know how the sausage is made, you may not really want to eat it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yet here we are all eating sausage.
2: It's amazing how it's, it's grown. The uh, It's turned into what I call in the book uh, more of a living organism where if you press on one side, the internet molds and adjusts and adapts. It's kind of neat like that.
0: Awesome. Well, that's really cool, and it's that must have been an amazing experience to have to watch this all grow. So the reason we invited you on today was to, was to talk about Noya, And why don't you first tell our audience, kind of what is Noya?
2: So so Noya is a company um, started out in Lithuania, Um, a a bunch of engineers that were using a CDN technology, a peer-to-peer CDN technology, along with a a blockchain backend. So the idea was if you share your computer and you share your disk space as part of this CDN, you are rewarded with these Noya coins. And if you are consuming that service and you are paying for that service using Noia coins. So they developed an ecosystem, but one of the things they found out as part of that project was that there are some fundamental challenges with the rest of the internet, specifically the routing system uh, of today's internet is insufficient for many emerging applications such as this, specifically because internet routing today does not take into account the health of the network paths that are enabled. And as a result, you have routers happily forwarding traffic along degraded paths. Maybe there's some link problems or some routers that are overloaded. Doesn't matter, the router will just send that traffic along the shortest path. So one of the things that we're looking at building here with this project is a a system that does take into account uh, the performance along the paths by constantly measuring those paths and then routing traffic through uh, various segments in order to bypass areas of network degradation. In a nutshell, that's basically what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I think in one of the papers I read that you had written, uh, you used an uh, analogy to Waze. That makes it really yeah. easy for me to understand as someone who isn't a network engineer or operator or any architect, uh, but it's, turning the, it's treating the network like streets and, and routing data like Waze does. Like the um, ways routes us,
2: yeah, that that's right. And and where does ways get that information? But the cars that are actually traveling along those paths. So if you know yeah. that along a highway this car hasn't been moving very fast, you can uh, deduce what the performance is like along that path, and then direct other people maybe to an exit ramp to go around and use an alternative path. That's a very good analogy. You know, one of the reasons we didn't use Waze in the white paper was, well, it was acquired by Google and maybe some folks don't know uh, what Waze is, but yeah, I think it's a very apt analogy.
0: Great, great, yeah, for everybody who doesn't know, I shouldn't just have thrown that out there. Waze is an amazing little application that helps you figure out how to get from point to point in your car as quickly as possible. Not, It's not always the freeway sometimes, it's a little side road that helps you get past an accident. So. Uh, I'm a, as a Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles resident, I'm an enthusiastic user of ways, Couldn't live without it. So does that, so everything you're explaining to me, is that what you mean by programmable internet?
2: Yes, that's that's what we but mean I by programmable. I see that phrase
0: thrown around on the NOIA website, programmable internet.
2: Yeah, the the idea is the um, the applications really need to have a, a certain quality of service, especially the emerging applications in the uh, Internet of Things space. Uh, a lot of the cloud applications that really depend on interacting with the cloud in real time to provide information back to the a- applications at the edge. There, there are a whole bunch of use cases like this. Uh, And the the CDN one is where we kind of uh, uncovered it. Some of the problems, you know, I'll sound like a broken record, I'm sure, to a lot of folks on your podcast, but uh, a lot of the problems have to do with uh, things like route hijacks. When you uh, have a network path that goes bump in the middle of the night and there's a a problem, really you have no recourse as an end system connected to the internet. The internet at its core does the routing. uh, But with the IATF emergence of the technology called segment routing, now all of a sudden you take the the control and the global knowledge out of the core of the internet and the routers and you put it at the edge. So the applications themselves can say, this is a path that I want to use because I think it's gonna have better performance and part of the system that we're building is doing that constant measuring of all these alternative paths, stitching segments together that are in the system in order to identify now is a time when there's an alternative path that you can use to get to your destination that bypasses that congestion and has empirically measured better performance to so now we'll start sending your traffic that way. That's the programmable internet. Totally makes sense. Pete, questions?
1: yeah i have a i have a ton um so just sort of so to get the parallels in place well while you were working on that network in michigan in 1988 i was beginning computer science studies in the fall of that year at uc san diego and i remember the first time i saw usenet was like pr- a pretty mind-blowing experience back then when you it felt like you had the sum of human knowledge at your fingertips if, if I only knew what was going to happen with things like Wikipedia and Google searching and, and things like that. but um, I, I can relate I can relate given that experience and given sort of how text mode it is like when HTTP came and hypertext and all that kind of stuff made it made it so much different. Um, the, the two comparisons I, I want to try to make and and I know they're not perfect and I want you to sort of poke some holes in this. Um, when you talked about that, the, the company originally was, was doing like a peer to peer CDN that made me think of like the human genome genome project where you used to be able to, like, if you were leaving your PC on overnight, right, you could sign up and let the human genome project use your spare CPU bandwidth overnight to make some calculations to things. And then the other one that makes me think of is like the difference between Wi Fi. 5 and Wi-Fi 6 cuz I remember back in in like college networking days where we would actually have discussions about like Ethernet versus Token Ring and and things like that. Like when you when you learn the the low level of how Ethernet works, it's kind of a miracle with all the collisions that go on that it actually like runs most networking in the world, right? And and one of the things that Wi-Fi 6 tries to do is is try to fix that to remove all the different collisions that happen there. So how how close am i with that combination of of prior uh, attempts at making making use of spare bandwidth and making you making making sense out of making sense out of where previously there wasn't quite as much sense
2: yeah it's um it's interesting to, to draw analogies and i think there's elements in both of your analogies that that kind of match so i'll go in, in order the one I like to refer to is um, is SETI. You um, use the Human Genome Project, but uh, SETI used to be back in those days, something that you would just have running as a screensaver when your computer right. was idle, and they would do the computations to try and identify patterns and, uh, signals that presumably came from uh, space somewhere, and um, right. yeah, similar type of thing here in the sense that if you have a PC or Mac or a Linux machine, what you can do is download this software, it's free, you install it uh, in a Docker. Uh, the Docker provides an isolated environment for the segment routing code and the measurement code to operate with Okay. It. okay. And uh, in that way, you are providing a node by using the system. You're providing a node also on the system. And your Docker can be used to relay the traffic on behalf of others in order to earn coins. The coins really are a way to, um, uh, there's a utility token token. And ensures fairness so that the amount of traffic that you share on your machine can then later be cashed in when you want to use the system itself to relay traffic, maybe along another path using someone else's system. So you you have a way of sharing something that you have that you've already paid for, which is the the bandwidth on your, your home. Uh, a home network or uh, in a data center somewhere. Um, so the sharing is the same and the, the difference is the cryptocurrency back end is what's using to ensure the fairness. Um, and in terms of performing performance, uh, again, the, the, the secret sauce here is really the, the measurement. Uh, what happens is each one of these segment routers that's running inside of a Docker has a process that will basically broadcast out to its group of about a hundred nodes. Okay, so 100 nodes will all learn about each other's existence, will learn what the one way latency is uh, for the traffic that it sends. So basically, it sends out a, a, a broadcast to, uh, again, let's say 100 nodes in a group. Each of those nodes in the group will receive that traffic and measure the one way latency of that measurement, but also the payload of that packet includes a list of everybody else and the state, the one way latency of traffic that other people send to that person. So that everyone in the group has a global picture of one-way latency and the state of the system. And from that, it can determine, is there a better path for me uh, across this one group? Can I get to that destination? And since you know the one-way latencies, and you also know if there's packet loss, you know in advance what the performance characteristics of that segment that you're about to use is. Because it's just been measured in a one-way path to you or to the other destinations. Does that make sense?
1: It does. So, are there are there issues with like aging? Like, so for example, let's let's say Ali in Southern California and me in rural Michigan are are both nodes on this peer network, right. and and we're constant. You know, every. I'm sure you'll correct me on what it is. Let's say it's every 30 minutes. We're making you know some kind of of peer ping between the two of them, so that we know what that one one way latency is. And well, of course, once,
2: every, like, once every second or once every 10 seconds. Oh,
1: it's even that. It's it's that frequent. Okay, so in that way, you're you, I was you're really answering the question then. In, in that way, so when you know when say 7 p.m. Eastern hits and like the Netflix window begins to open for for me in the eastern time zone and it hasn't yet for you know because Ali's still working on the west coast the whole system is going to accommodate that as as the network traffic changes over time just based on usage patterns you're going to be able to detect that because of the frequency of the the one way pings that you're doing
2: exactly exactly
1: i see okay and so in in this sense do you get is the cryptocurrency, do you get rewarded based on how long you're on the system or are you rewarded based on how how relevant that information is? I mean, again, using this analogy between Ali and I, because she lives in a more populated area than I do, you could argue that her, her pings are more valuable than mine.
0: Right. I can like get a lot it, more traffic, right? Yeah,
1: because it, it affects a lot more people. Is it So does the algorithm go into that level of detail or...
2: I'm not sure I understand the question, but maybe I can explain the, the, the process a little bit and, and it might become okay. a little bit clear. So w- with all these these uh, the, these pings and all these measurements, you will be able to detect that there appears to be some sluggishness, some congestion, some packet loss or what have you going towards um, Ali's home in, in Southern California. the The good news is that the measurements are across all these other entities in the group. And you can determine that there's this is no longer the, the path to use. This is not providing a better path. And in fact, what, what you see happening is good networks attract more traffic.
1: Okay, that makes okay. sense.
2: Because you're you're constructing an alternative path here, one with a lower latency than the current internet path. If the current internet path is working just fine, then the Docker just asks, just acts in pass-through mode. It just forwards those packets. It's only when you start seeing, oh, oh, there's some latency or some packet loss. There's some problems going to that destination. It's only then when you look at your pre-computed paths that have a measured lower latency as of one second ago.
0: Mm. I think what Pete's asking, though, correct me if I'm wrong, is say Pete's a user or a member, yep. and I am as well. And we're both going to earn credit for our participation. Would I earn more credit because I live in a populated area and more people might be redirecting their data through my node versus his node is kind of remote. Yeah. And is- so and we don't have any control, right, over whether people use our node or not. It's simply we put it op- open, right? We make it open, people can use it. Would I be earning more Bitcoin or more credit than he would because he's remote and he likely fewer people would
2: need to pass through his his, his node? I think that's right. And the reason is that the lower latency paths are the ones that will be selected to be used as an alternative to the public internet. And if you're up in the sticks like like PETA's, um, there's probably not a whole lot of traffic on the way to somewhere of interest going through Traverse City. It's it's unlikely. So you will probably end up earning less money for relaying the traffic for others. But you also earn money simply by running the code and being part of the network. Uh, remember these measurements Got I'm it. talking about? They're all very small they're all one packet type of measurements at least the the ones that are doing the, the the timing they're single packet measures so as long as those can get through then you are in fact getting some traffic you will earn some some coin for just participation but uh, you really make the money or the, the coin rather when you're passing traffic on the behalf wow. of others
1: so in that way it so for example, when I lived in Southern California, before I made my move to upstate Michigan, I was as avid a Waze user as Ali was. But now that I live in a more rural area, I find that it is, not only is it not as useful, it's sometimes incorrect because the data points that it's collecting are so sparse that right. the extrapolations it's making off of those sparse uh, data collections even mm-hmm. makes things worse for me. So I would imagine... That in that case, for me, it's unless I'm unless I'm pulling data uh, across country and happen to go across someone else's path, it's not going to be as useful for someone in a less congested area where, you know, congestion doesn't necessarily mean population, but but has a lot more to do with how the Internet pipes are, are in your area than someone who's in a more congested area.
2: Well, uh, what I'm finding empirically now is that it really depends on where the problem is occurring. Um, I see. It, it may very well be the case that there's a problem from Michigan, not so much uh, because the problem is in your last mile or, or even in the network that you're using to I get see. to the. But it
1: could be in in Chicago or Detroit or.
2: Absolutely. In fact, it, it could be a peering link in Chicago between one of the intermediary ISPs as nothing to do with you or your traffic, but it just happens to be overloaded because of a denial of service attack or, or some type Interesting. of information. We can measure that and we can detect it and we can reroute maybe to a different pairing point. Maybe instead of Chicago, you can reach the destination empirically again, because all these people that are customers of all these ISPs around the world are all sharing their systems and making those paths available, making those segments between them. Uh, Now we have a much broader canvas. Of, uh, of links, of transport that we can choose from to construct an alternative. Today, you really just have to wait until the internet problem goes away and comes back, right? <laughs> there, There's tools to make it a little bit easier.
1: Right. That's very cool. So, I mean, in, th- in that sense, you don't run into the, the rural area problem that Waze does because everybody's traffic eventually routes through a more populated area. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so is Noia fairly established now? Is it like what? What kind of critical mass is required for this to really work
2: well? Oh, it's a good one. Well, right now, the the Noia network has um, uh, on the order of five thousand registered endpoints. And once the uh, what I've described to you so far is the what, what we call the the retail model. This is for the the end users. The same technology is available in the enterprise model except the difference is instead of yours and, and alleys home PCs being used, there are companies that would run professionally operated routers in highly dense co-location centers, probably the Equinix facilities, a core facilities and so forth, basically around the world. And since these locations have all of the major ISPs, uh, that operator can buy transit from all these major ISPs within that colocation center especially the the dense locations, you can reach 80% of the market within 25 milliseconds. We believe that makes these particular deployments highly desirable as they provide the lowest latency path. Those guys will end up being preferred to be used and therefore they will garner the coin because of their locality, because of the low latency segments that they're providing into the system. This is a system that professional operators would need to get compensated for, and that kind of ties everything together for this whole uh, NOIA system with the thing that we call the DITEX, the Distributed Internet Transit Exchange. This is basically a list of all of the segments available around the world and their real-time performance measurements, their lat-long pair, what ISP they're on, and whether there's a premium associated with that coin. Uh, I'm sorry, with, with that segment, uh, in some segments, again, if you're a professional operator, you're not doing this because you wanna share your capacity with others and make use of it yourself. You're doing this because you wanna make some money. You're doing this because yeah. the professional deployment, the professional routers, uh, all that costs a fair a chunk of money, uh, but the good news is when, you know, the network goes bump in the middle of the night, you don't have an alternative, except now you do. <laughs> And during those times when things are broken, people are willing to pay a little bit more money to get around those areas of congestion and bring their company or their home system back online the best that's possible. So that's
0: when it gets real is when we've got enterprises lending or getting their data centers involved, right? Then you're really, I would imagine, moving moving network packets much more quickly, right?
2: The the efficiency of these alternative paths, I think, goes up quite a bit. Uh, if you think about the network path and the retail model, things have to be kind of bad in order for <laughs> path up through Traverse City to be the preferred way to reach some place in, say, New York. Because right? Right. that's going to be a long path to get up there and a long path to get back. It's still It might be a valuable segment at some point or for some users, but it's not going to attract the most traffic. The most traffic will be attracted to the best-performing network segments across the internet. Those guys will have the segment router spinning really fast, and they'll be relaying the traffic for a lot of folks and generating a lot of coin as a side effect. So just to be sure I understand
0: completely how this works, say I'm a, I'm a network operator at an enterprise, and I w- would I get notification that, that the network is slowing bit, like data isn't getting where it needs to go. And I actually make a choice to choose an alternate network or is it completely automated? Is the system, do I turn it on, say, look, if, if things slow down, make a choice for a better
1: network
2: and it, it does it for me.
1: Like set some threshold.
2: Yeah. Right, right. Um, there, there's a button and you can have it in fully automatic mode um, and you're sending your traffic through this Docker that's running the segment router software. And as I said, most of the time it's going through pass-through mode. But that is the code in that Docker that's going to recognize, hey, there's a retransmission happening here. Or there appears to be some sluggishness. Um, It's also the thing that's geotagging that destination. So we can find out, well, what is the closest egress segment router that might be the place that would ultimately reach that destination? That's why we have the three, lat, long, and the ISP, AS number. Because you can be in the same, you can be in Boston, but if you're on a different ISP in Boston, then uh, offloading in Boston doesn't buy you that much because you still have to have your traffic go to the head end and then up to the peering point where it appears with the other guy. So you really want to have uh, the Boston uh, Comcast ISP customer to offload other traffic to Comcast ISP customers. Cool,
0: cool. So, it's, so automatic is a choice. Can I put it in manual?
2: You can. In fact, uh, we believe that there will be some enterprises that will say, you know, we like the system, but we don't want to relay the traffic for others. We're not an ISP. For security reasons, our guys don't want to be doing that. So basically what you do is you set in the the DITEX, the distributed internet transit exchange, you set the uh, the premium that you're going to charge for using your segments to infinity. Oh, okay. You still get to participate in the measurement. And when there is a problem, you still can press that button and only at that time do you make use of the system. Of course, you haven't earned any coins, so you'll be one of the population that will be buying coins in order to use it during emergencies. Another interesting use case that we uh, would we, we think is gonna be a, a big hit will be for SLA credits. You know, today, if you have uh, an SLA with an ISP, you have to detect that there was a problem that you were down You have to have some kind of documentation that shows how long the outage was. And then they might give you credit for the day or the hours that you were unavailable. Well, that doesn't cut it really for today's uh, internet. The alternative we believe will be that when you get an SLA, the ISP would escrow coins on your behalf. Should there be a problem where the uh, segment router path is better than your ISP can deliver and you end up using those coins, you're using your ISP's coins, to get better performance off of your current system. So this actually remediates the problem instead of just giving you credit for the time that you were uh, unable to, to use the system. So we, we think this is a better way for the internet to operate. Very interesting, that
0: totally makes sense. It's really neat.
1: Yeah, that's really slick.
0: Pete, got more questions?
1: No, uh, William's answered everything I have. I, I I like these kind of solutions that are just there's no new infrastructure here. It's just using existing infrastructure in more creative ways, which is that's that's why I made the IP or the Wi-Fi 6 analogy, because that's 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 something similar. But th- this has much broader scope, given given the measurements that you're taking uh, across much wider distances. It's It's really slick.
2: If, if I could just toss in a, a couple of things I find really fascinating about the system. One is, if you take a look at the market forces that are being leveraged here, the first thing is you, you're leveraging with this SR-WAN system. That's what we're, we're calling it, the, the segment routing WAN. You're leveraging the availability of internet transit uh, at an ever-decreasing price. Broadband today at my house here in California, Um I think Comcast has a, a 60 meg service for 30 bucks a month. Uh, now I'm not going to use 60 meg 24-7. So I have that available capacity. doesn't cost me anything to put it into use in this system. So uh, I, I can go ahead and, and, and do that. So that's one of the market forces we leverage is the abundance of large capacity broadband infrastructure. The next thing is the desire to participate in cryptocurrency. Right now, cryptocurrency is like the hottest thing in the market. It's a new and shiny thing that a lot of folks are, are gravitating towards. And this is a chance to earn cryptocurrency simply by operating the software on your machine, sharing your extra capacity. And if you happen to be on a good network path with good performance that uh, other folks would prefer to use, then you're going to earn some cryptocurrency. So it's a way to do that without having to you know, spend any hard-earned cash to go buy stuff. And the other piece of this that I find fascinating, I think, Pete, you, you'd really dig this part, too, is think about all those measurements and the machine learning, artificial intelligence that can do the processing of all those measurements of all the one-way latencies in order to learn what is the right frequency for doing those measurements. Is it one second? Right. Is it ten seconds? to to learn what is the best path if there are three or four or five different competing paths to a a destination. Um, And then the really interesting stuff comes up when you start talking about, well, we talked about having groups of 100, right? Well, now what if you have many, many groups of 100, thousands of groups of 100, each which has a collective um, matrix of one-way latency. Now you have some machine learning data that could decide, well, you know what? The right grouping of nodes is a little different. The right grouping of nodes based on the the load that's being placed on the network should look like this. So people can be assigned to different groups and then their group assignment might change based upon the machine learning, figuring out well how much load is being placed on the system, what are the one-way latencies, what are the destinations, and then have things kind of spread out. So not only does it reinforce that Better networks get more traffic, but it also reinforced that we can spread the load over all of the internet transit providers collectively in order to maximize the efficiency of the system. I think this is really cool.
1: Yeah, that is. Absolutely. When you start getting into sort of some some post-game AI analysis like that, then 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 you can you can make some predictions on what route will be best based on what past data tells you, given time of day and given, given other circumstances. Yeah, that's really neat.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, well, well, what I'm wondering if, oh, go ahead. Please go ahead. I was just going to say, when, when you uh, become a node, whether you're an enterprise or an individual, is there any security exposure?
2: Security is one of the most important things of this, um, for, for this system. We, we believe that um, a system such as this is being operated for the, the public good and needs to be open source software. In particular, this software needs to be open source. It's being downloaded into the dockers of people's PCs and Linux machines. So we've committed to make that software uh, open source and, and and publicly available, so you can see what's being run in, inside. We also expect that the open source nature of things will enable us to build a platform of other developers, so there'll be a lot of eyes looking at the software and the solution. But yeah, make no mistake about it, this is something that is tied on to your your PC, your Mac, or your Linux machine. So it, it's a it's a security security concern, and we take that very seriously.
0: That's neat. I didn't okay, I didn't realize there was an open source component to this. So uh, cool. If people want to get involved with that, what's the what would the URL be for that?
2: Well, the the software is currently being um, refined and um, and and put into place. So it's going to be a few months before we have the the system available. But stay tuned on the the Noya Telegram channel. Uh, the NOAA website is a good place to keep up to date. This is probably one of the most open and sharing companies that I, I've ever worked with. They're very transparent about everything they do. You can see pictures of the whiteboard sessions, discussions of what's happened in the last week. And the 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 Noya community um, is very, very active. Uh, there are a lot of folks that are very excited about this. So yeah, there's open source component and it's uh, we, we see it as a necessity. This is the right way to do this.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's good to know. I'll include. I'll go ahead and include that information in our uh, podcast notes. So anybody who is interested in that, whatever you know, URLs you send me, I'll go ahead and include in the notes so that folks can access that. I think that's it for me. Anything else anybody wants to include before we wrap this up, guys?
2: Well, um, there, there was one other use case that I found yeah, kind of interesting it. that might also help illustrate the uh, the the whole system. Have you heard of a company called Spread Networks? I have not.
1: No, I haven't either.
2: Well, it's a, uh, a network operator that connects, among other places, uh, Chicago's financial district to the New York financial district. Hmm. And the fiber path that was in place would go around the mountains, over the tops of the mountains in some cases, to go from Chicago to New York. Uh, well, because of all the financial Automated trading systems, the program trading systems, there was a market for having a lower latency path between Chicago and New York. So, spread networks actually drilled a hole straight through the mountains in order to run the fiber with a more direct path. And at the other end, uh, that path was plugged into e- equipment to provide that lower lowest latency path, but it was very, very expensive to build that fiber. So, it's very, very expensive to lease that fiber. Mm. Turns out there's a much Larger market for commodity fiber that is not quite as low latency as that path. Um, So, what they did is they took the other strands and they wrapped them around spools of fiber in order to slow it down to make the fiber path the same as the fiber path that would go around the mountains. Okay. So that they could compete in both markets, the low latency direct fiber path, in addition to the higher, more commodity. Market that has the same latency as the competitors do Isn't that interesting? That's hilarious. So um, if you observe that you have then a very Expensive segment that's only used during the program trading days You observe that there are six hours on each side of that business day when that a very expensive capacity is not utilized Um, now with our system you can turn on segment routers on either side of that Chicago New York link and turn that capacity online in the DITEX during the off hours. And by doing that, now all of a sudden there's a lower latency path between Chicago and New York that will be preferred because when you're constructing paths, you prefer the lower latency path. So a lot of traffic will be going across that low latency path and therefore those segment routers will be spinning and earning coins for the operator. So we found a way to seamlessly and with blockchain frictionlessly, enable the monetization of extra capacity that's pretty cool that is pretty cool thanks for sharing that use case with us and
0: and and thanks for joining us today it's it's been terrific to learn about this this was something i hadn't heard about i learned a lot today so uh we appreciate your time and we would absolutely love for you to come back six months from now a year from now tell us how things are going and how that network's going and uh, how it's growing, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, as, as you get to 5,000, you know, hundreds of thousands of nodes, you know, how performance changes and, and what interesting things you guys find along the way. Absolutely. I'll be here. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Bill. Pete, thank you. It was good to talk to you after my vacation. I uh, missed you and I'm glad to connect again. Talk to you soon. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.